Okay, if you can, get a Bible. And uh, those of you who got a Bible with you, grab it. Let's go to two places to start with today. Uh, Romans 8 and Matthew chapter 8. Romans 8, Matthew 8. We'll be looking at just a handful of scriptures. And <clears throat> the, uh, the subject matter is Romans 8, 28 in everyday life. And it's just one way of saying what's on my mind, and, and, and that is this. As we look at these scriptures, it's my belief based upon scripture, based upon testimonies of others, based upon my own experience and testimony, that one of the most powerful things in the universe is not just faith or faith in God, but faith that acts every day, everyday life. And, and I mean it like this, is, is there are crises in life. There are. Some of them are big. We're going to look at some crises. But there's also some everyday things that as they add up can have the same effect as a single crisis when you're going through life. So we'll start in Romans 8 and just re remind you of the verse. There may be some that uh, don't know the verse that well yet. So Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know. Now it would take, you know, probably half hour to hour to lead up to the and we know in direct context. Because what Paul's doing is he's building the believer's understanding in Romans 8 of the Spirit-filled life and how the Spirit-filled life, the Spirit walk, is by God intended to be our walk, our everyday experience. And we're working on some things we'll bring to you again on that soon. But sort of as a lead up to it is, is this truth that he says, and we know, verse 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. I'm well aware that there are many different English translations and stuff of this verse. I'm also well aware that the vast majority of them come short of saying what God said in this small verse, the way he gave it to us in our English language and our authorized version. I'm aware of that. You know, there's a lot of people that aren't. It, uh, let me say this real quick. Now watch. H hear it out. If you don't have a final authority to start with, someplace to start, then how do you know that what you're reading, what you prefer to read is truth? See, here's what a lot of people do. They get a hold of some doctrines and they say, as long as I can see or hear or find a doctrine... In the text of these different versions I read, as long as I can do that, that thing's okay to use. Where did you get that doctrine to begin with? You did not get that doctrine from a vast majority of things that actually contradict each other. So when you come to this verse, it's worded that way. For It doesn't say all good things work together, for example. He said, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are called according to his purpose. Not for our good necessarily. That's this modern teaching. It's all for your good, for your good. Not necessarily. Now, yes, it's for God's good if, uh, if they cut the Apostle Paul's head off because he gets a martyr's crown. But it's not for his personal good if they do that to him. Okay? And we're going to look at a couple characters here in our Bible and a couple instances of, 
of things that you're going along and they happen. And they may happen to you in one way, shape, or another. But we're going to talk about Romans 8.28 in everyday life. Our first example or starting place is in Matthew 8, verse 23, down to verse 27. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. So here's the Son of God who has access. If nothing else, someone says, well, as Son of God, he had limited himself, you know, in his omniscience. Okay, but he had direct contact with the Father. Okay. <clears throat> who could say, Son, <laughs> the boat's sinking. He was asleep. His disciples came to him and awoke, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he rose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The Navy SEALs say, Calm is contagious. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So he is teaching them many things. The main thing he mentions is fear versus faith. Why are you so fearful? They didn't come down to the hold of the ship wherever he's asleep and say, Lord, uh, could you go ahead and stop this thing? You know, it, we know you can, and we, we know it'd be better if we got rid. Could you just get rid of this tempest? Could you get rid of this storm, Lord? Thank you very much. Oh, no, no, no. They came down and they were, you know, save us, we perish. Right? So they were fearful. And by the way, I hope you don't get so caught up in yourself that you, you think you would do fare better than these disciples. They didn't have a hold of everything yet, and we definitely don't. We do have an opportunity, though, friend, to have a hold of more than they ever had a hold of. We have the completed written word here passed on to us. So when we look at this, there is that thought in Romans 8, 28. Someone says, you know, well, God is behind it. He was behind it. And then someone says, God was before it. He went ahead of you. That's true. But the real truth is, in a few minutes when we go over to these couple examples, is that God is always by it. He's always right there. He's always right there. So let's look at a few examples where we can see Romans 8, 28 play out in our Bible. Okay? Go all the way with me over to Genesis. Let's go to the book of Genesis. Let's start uh, in Genesis 37, but we're going to summarize a lot. If you haven't read these stories of Joseph, I pray you will. But in Genesis 37, you have a character who's the 11th son in the line of Jacob. In verse 2, it says, These are the generation of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock, etc. The story, as many of you know, is Joseph is favored by his dad. By the way, it's ridiculous to think that people don't have favorites. It's impossible. God has favorites. He said, I love them that love me. 
And he says, the more you love him, the more he'll love you. That, that's what he teaches. That you, it's not possible. If you create an environment where people demand that you love everyone the same as everyone else, then it's not love. It's just demanding equality. And that doesn't work. God has proven it doesn't. So he did favor Joseph. Joseph and Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother, were born to his favored wife. <laughs> it says he loved Rachel and hated Leah. We didn't hate her as in what some people despise her, but if you take love and not love, it's love and hate in the Bible. Okay? When Jesus said, if you come to me and love not, hate not mother and father and brother and sister and your own life also, in a parallel passage, he said, if you come to me and you love them more than me. So one is love, one is hate. They're contrasting. It's very simple. You shouldn't correct your Bible or retranslate it. So Joseph is given these dreams by God. And by the way, he wasn't being precocious to share the dreams. If he did not share the dreams, then all those years later, they wouldn't know that God's prophecy came to pass. So many people try to, they try to take human culture and impose it on God himself. No. God gave him the dream. He shared the dream. Hey, if he's just gas bagging, then it won't come to pass. But if he isn't gas bagging, then maybe someone should have listened up. Well, what happens is they start envying him and they hate him. In verse 11, it says in, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 11, and his brothers, brothers, his brethren, rather, envied him, okay? And they're off doing stuff they shouldn't do. Another time, after they'd already done it before, dad sent Joseph to find out how they're doing. So they decided in verse 20, he said, come now, therefore, uh, let us slay him. Who's the him? Verse 19, they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. So they're mocking him, okay? His dreams had basically said that the father... And the brothers and the family were going to bow down to Joseph someday and he's going to rule over them. Well, if it's a harmless dream, who cares? Probably had a ring to it. Probably had. Okay? It's not, there's not absolute clear teaching. It's a consideration. Okay? But it's not conjecture. It would have had a ring to it because they didn't like it. Long and short of it is they sell him into slavery. They sell him into slavery. He goes down into slavery and he begins to work his way up through the house of Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard in chapter 37, 36. Then, as he works his way up through there and Potiphar's off doing his stuff, Potiphar's wife decides that she wants to get him to sin with her, to lay with her, to fornicate with her. He refuses. He flees, ends up leaving his coat there. She lies about him. He ends up in prison. So he's in the pit. They pull him up and sell him into slavery. He's in prison. And while he's in prison, God blesses him there in prison. And he finds favor in the eyes of the warden. And then two of the servants of the Pharaoh of the time are put in to hold and he's going to execute them, they think. 
One's a butler, one's a baker. They both have a head-busting dream one night, and they have that head-busting dream, and they're all perplexed, and Joseph comes in, and we know that God had given him this thing of dreams and stuff. God did it. He didn't conjure it up, people. He didn't go to school for it. He didn't sit cross-legged with his you know, fingertips touching. God gave it to him. So he exercises his gift and he interprets the dream. He tells the butler, you're going to be restored. He tells the baker, he's fixing to kill you. And it comes to pass. But in chapter 40, verse 23 of your Bible right there, where you got it open, and yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. So there's the pit and there's the prison. And then there's a pause of how long? Look at verse one, two years. That two years is from the time he interpreted their dream and they got one killed, one delivered. And then when this event happens, which is Pharaoh's going to have a dream, nobody can interpret it. And then the fellow that he helped said, I, in verse 9 of chapter 41, I do remember my faults this day. So I want to talk about Joseph here in Romans eight twenty-eight. The thing about Joseph that basically caused his was the sins of others. We're going to look at just three things that in which we need to apply Romans 8.28 to our thinking beforehand. Beforehand, okay? We're talking about trust in God. That our love should bring trust. Now listen, our trust over thinking, over projecting, over prognosticating, over speculating. And it may not come out at all the way you want it to or hope it to or any of that kind of stuff. We know this. In Genesis 50, okay, so Joseph's down there all these years. Pharaoh has his head-busting dream. Joseph comes out, interprets the dream, which forecasts the weather for 14 years because the weather is a direct part of anything that's bountiful or drought. And he predicts this Bumper crop for seven years and then seven years of famine. Predicts it based on the, all the leading of God. In the meantime, when they get into those seven lean years, when they start them, Joseph's family are not living where he's at. He's down in Egypt. They get in a need. They come and buy grain. Joseph recognizes them over a period of time. He reveals himself to them. He brings them down into Egypt puts them in a place called the land of Goshen and they prosper there up until a certain time where they got so big in Exodus chapter one that, that they wanted to oppress them and keep them down and use them. And of course, then we have the story of Moses. Why is that important? Because it says in chapter 50 verse 20 that God did it to save many alive. So God's doing it to save lives, including his own family and including many people. Now look at chapter 50 there real quick with Genesis and get this. Verse 19. Now, here's the context. The old man dies. Now the brothers are thinking he's going to even the score now because they probably would. Their conscience is killing him for selling him into the pit, into slavery. The sins of his brothers who envied and hated him sold him into slavery. The sins of Potiphar's wife got him put into the prison. The sin of carelessness, of forgetting someone who had who had done him a great service, caused the pause in his life. You see, you don't have all the answers and I don't have all the answers. And sometimes when people are going through the process like we see Joseph, 
We can say, you know, I don't have the answers, but I'll just sit and wait with you because we don't have them. It's okay to say you don't. Look at chapter 50, verse 19. Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? Let's stop there a minute. You and I do not have a right to bitterness. You and I do not have a right to grudges. You and I do not have a right to remember and enumerate the sins of others, especially as we regard them offending us or doing it to us. We need Romans 8, 28 in our everyday life, and we need to apply it before everything comes out good. Joseph kept such a good attitude towards God and his fellow man that God could use him, and he could not have used him if he let himself get bitter towards God and bitter towards mankind. He would have mistreated those people. He would have taken vengeance on his own brothers. Verse 20, But as for you, you thought evil against me. See, it's not justifying him, but he's not saying it with his teeth gritted, like many of you do. You thought evil against me. But God meant it unto what? There's that word, good. See how your Bible's amazing if you let it be? <clears throat> to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. You see, my dear friend, Joseph's situation was from the sins of others. Now, we could go on for this a while, but I, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to adjure you. I'm going to plead with you. I'm going to beseech you to allow some time in the very near future where you say, Lord, have I allowed the sins of others to block out the glorious truth of Romans 8.28 while it's happening? See, it's while it's happening that we need that grace of God. It's while, we're, while it's happening that we need to be trusting God, not even outcomes or not people. Joseph by every passage of Scripture from, from this chapter 37 all the way to 50, Joseph, while he was in it, did not keep hanging on to the vision, the dream of the 12 bowing down and all that kind of stuff. He didn't. Of the sun and moon bowing down, he didn't have that. But he had God. He had God at the middle of it. And so he found grace in the sight of those who really he was in that situation because of the sins of others. Now, I know, I know. You say, well, if something bad happens to me, the first thing I should do is, is find out what I did and what I said. And so I get all that. Yeah, examine your heart. But I hate to tell you, if you get caught up in the way this modern Christianity lives on cause and effect, well, if you'd done that right, this wouldn't have happened. And God said he has good for you and this and that and not, and he's always going to take care of you. That isn't true. He took care of Joseph, but he let Joseph go into the pit, go into the prison, and have a two-year pause, two years. So you see, it's important for us to make sure that we grasp the promise of Romans 8, 28. He said, we know, we know. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I know. I, more than once, I know I've seen in the lives of others, these Bible characters, I've seen in the lives of saints that God has chosen to record some parts of their life. I've seen in my own life that God uses the sins of others to still work all things together for good. I've seen God in my own life and experience 
You say, well, haven't, have you ever, God ever had to, you know, like, whoop you for your own doing wrong and sins? Yep. But I've encountered a lot of things in life that was just because somebody was, like their brothers, envious or bitter or selfish. Potiphar's wife, lustful. And then she got vindictive. Sometimes carelessness. Carelessness is a sin. Because he tells us to be diligent and he gives us all these different ways and we're supposed, we're supposed to look after our fellow man and our fellow believers in particular. Well, I've, I've seen that happen and I've seen God over a period of time, sometimes five years, 10 years, sometimes 30 years, turn it into working it together for good. But the key is from my point of view and for you, your point of view, I've got to keep my heart right with God and others. I have seen it where a believer makes it difficult, sometimes impossible, because of our own free will. Impossible for God to take something and work it for good because they're not cooperating like Joseph did. All right, now that's the sins of others. Let's go to, uh, well, we're right there in Genesis. Let's go to Job. I was going to put Job third, but let's go to Job. Job chapter 1. Let's go to Job, and let's look at this character. Now, many of you know the story of Job. I hope you do. If you haven't, I'd read it if I was you. Even as scary as it is, <coughs> it's, a, it's a scary book. It's a scary book that, as Bob Jones Sr. said, you cannot do right and get away with it. Whew, that's scary, man. So look, in, here, here we are in Job chapter 1. And in Job chapter 1, look at verse 10. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? He says, You think Job fears you? You, you uh, Verse 10, Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Do you get the picture? The Bible says that the devil goeth about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's the right wording, friend. Because may is a permissive word. Can is an ability word. May is a per permissive word. I grew up, I'd say to my granted, can I go out and do this or that? Can I go out in the snow and, you know, do this? Or can I take the dog out and hunt up there in central Ohio? He said, well, I don't think the issue is whether you can do it or not. But I think what you want to know is, is whether you may or not. So he pounded that into my head, put it into my thinking. To this day, most of the time, if I'm asking something, even if I'm ordering, I'll say, may I have the, you know, the hamburger when I'm allowed to. <laughs> may I have the hamburger? You see, it's a May thing. And the devil's bitter here because he has been walking around Job for a long time like a lion seeking whom he may devour. You say, well, what prompted this? Look at verse 8. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Satan's answer tells you he had been noticing Job. Satan's answer tells you, okay, that what God was bragging about, Satan was aware of, and he want, he'd been searching, find, trying to find a way in that hedge. They have built and planted hedges for years. 
hedges sometimes with thorns and things like that to keep animals out and protect people. And the devil says, turn me loose and let's see what happens. And so he gives the devil permission at a time. Satan is always ambitious against God himself. But in this case, it's the Lord who opens up the hole in the hedge. You know, it's not pride to know that you love the Lord and are consecrated. Now wait, you should never get to the point where you don't guard your love, cultivate your love, cultivate your consecration. But it's not pride to know that. It's not humble to act like you don't know if you love the Lord or not. That's ridiculous. It's a choice. You know, I, I think people are, you do have two extremes where they just say, oh, I love everybody, or they hardly ever say, I love you. But love expressed is a confidence that we're supposed to express. So here we have him, okay? We know in James uh, chapter 5, he talks about the patience of Job, the enduringness of Job. He talks about the fact that all these things that Job went through were, were something that really, you know, they were a trial to Job. And the thing that, that impresses us is that God himself allowed it, okay? Because what God was going to do was show consecration, show faithfulness, show love, unto others. So in Joseph's case, he suffered and God used Romans 8:28 through the sins of others. In Job's case, he's doing it by showing unto others. And he uses that satanic spirit. You know, when James wrote, he said, "Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction and of patience, behold we count them happy which endure." You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And we know Job's end was, was prospered. But we don't know that when we're reading it. We don't know that when we're watching it. You know, one of the amazing things Job says in chapter 13, in chapter 13 and verse 15, he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain my own ability before him. That's not the self-righteousness that many have tried to make it out to be. Uh, did God say, you don't know me like you can? Yeah, he did. He told him that. But you know, he didn't, he didn't hammer old Job. He let the devil hammer on him. Why? To show what someone dedicated to God, faithful to God, will do when the devil's turned loose on them. Now, what is the lesson then with Job? Now, with, J with Joseph, Ready? The sins of others were what he had to deal with. Not the outcome. God had to do the outcome. Do you know Job could not in any way, shape, or form cause his end to be greater than his beginning? Job could not do that. It says the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. That's in chapter 42, verse 12. Okay, and he goes on to talk about it. Job, Job couldn't make that happen. What Job could do 
was keep his heart towards God, right? You say, well, he made, he made some comments. He made the comments of a person in pain. Now, now watch. If you suffer physical pain, and if you've ever been on a burn ward, for example, burn wards have a, a very high turnover of personnel, of workers, because the things they have to do in a burn ward to help the people, you know, the debriding and all that they have to do, it brings out some comments from people and things that people say and, and just, you know, the whole thing is, is, is stressful. But even in all that, and let me say this, if you know somebody going through something, you don't have to have the answers and you cannot, you can't afford personally to judge them. Some things they might say, oh, I wish I'd never been born. Well, that's kind of normal. You know, God didn't hammer Job for saying that. <laughs> Do you get this? But what Job did stay right about was God. And, and even, now listen, even in the way they treated him. It says in chapter 42, verse 10 of Job, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Job stayed right enough that he could pray for the people who had given him the greatest grief, and that is his so-called friends. Romans 8.28, listen, is something we have to practice while we're in this. For Joseph, it was in all these trials that were the sins of others. For Job, it's in this process of showing unto others. See, Job didn't know that God was going to show that he'd give him twice as much or anything. He just wanted to show unto others that God is worthy of what? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It's trust. God is worthy of trust. Now, child of God, I'm going to bring it down to every day. Remember Romans 8, 20? When you got to stand in line at a store, grocery store, wherever, why are you so cranky? And you can, hit, you, you can try to shut out what I'm saying, <clears throat> but why are you so cranky? You know what it might be? It might be that there's somebody there you could give a testimony to just by your attitude. Just by, you know, praise God, we're able to be here. Praise God. I, I, make, it a, I make it a point when I'm in line and people start getting all cranky to do something positive, to encourage somebody, uh, not to rebuke them. If you start rebuking them, that means you think, I don't think I'm so, I think I'm just doing what I ought to do and who I ought to be when I don't let that bother me. When someone does something wrong, the sins of others, whether it be in traffic, whether it be out in the, in the community, whether it be somebody in your own life, a relative, who cares? What matters most is me staying in a place of trust and practice with God. You see, Joseph was ready at, after two years of not doing any dream interpretation. He was ready. When it came time, boom, he was ready. Why is that? Because he stayed right with God. Job was ready. He was ready and God could trust him with doing twice as much because Job stayed right with God. And when God wanted to take him a little further, 
Job said, you're right, Lord. You're right. I need to get in further. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Not our good. We're not looking for our good. We're not looking to be treated right. And we're not looking for life itself to be right. See, for Job, what was the first thing that happened? He touched all his stuff and his children. Then he let him touch his health. In the process, his wife said, curse God and die. In the process, his friends, his friends who came to help him supposedly, his friends just hammered him and hammered him and hammered him. And they totally missed it. It wasn't his fault they missed it, dear friend. It wasn't. It was their fault they missed it. All right, now come over to the New Testament, Acts chapter 27. So, so in life, <clears throat> Acts chapter 27, what others do is something that we have to let God take care of and we've got to keep our accounts with God right, our accounts with others right, our spirit right, our attitude right, because we've got to just trust God. Trust God. With Job, he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And he said, I'm going to keep my integrity. I'm going to keep doing the right thing. This is exciting. You know why? Because God does Romans 8, 28 when the sins of others are at work. Joseph's life. When a satanic spirit is at work. Because he's what? Showing unto others. So there's the sins of others. There's the satanic spirit. And now we come to Acts chapter 27. And in Acts chapter 27, <coughs> we have Paul being sent to Rome. They're on the ship. And then they're going to end up in this storm and they're going to end up shipwrecked. Okay? Paul warns them in chapter 27, verse 10. He said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lady of ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven, get this, was not commodious to winter in. That is, it wasn't as comfortable. That's where we get our English word accommodation from. Okay? It wasn't commodious to winter in. By the way, do you know it's easier to look up an English word in a Webster's Dictionary, I've got it on my phone, I've got it on the computer, got it hardback. It's easier to do that than it is for you to try to figure out if somebody told you what the right Greek word was. But anyway, and because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice and there to winter, which is in haven of Crete, and lieth toward the south and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, Supposing they had obtained their purpose, they had to have wind to sail. Loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete, and they end up in the storm of storms, and they end up shipwrecked. So Paul ends up in this storm because of the self of others. Not just the sins of others, not just the satanic spirit of others, but the self of others. Their self-motives of the sailor of the ship's captain, of the soft winds. They end up like this just because they wouldn't listen to Paul. Now we know that all things work together for it. God used it. 
You say, well, that was God's plan all along to shipwreck them. I don't know if it was or not. You know, they could have pulled in there at any time in good weather and witnessed and saw people saved and moved on without the destruction of the ship. You ever thought of that? God can work all that out, but he didn't. And what he used was self, the selfishness, the self of others. The self motives of the sailors, of the ship's captain, of the soft winds telling them, yeah. And safety was in the ship till the very last. And Paul appeals to the leader even to say, don't let them flee in those boats. Paul couldn't stop them. He let Paul kept it where it should have been, between the lines, as we say. In sports, it's between the lines. That's why if you, in football, say, you hit somebody outside the lines, it's a penalty. <clears throat> in any other thing that's any kind of contact, between the lines, between the lines. That, that thing that Paul experienced was the result of the self application of others. Okay? Now, I don't want to get you going down the wrong train of thought mentally, but as you sit here, you know, and I know, that others often cause us inconvenience. It's inconvenient to be shipwrecked, by the way. That was very inconvenient. They All the days without eating and all the fear and all that. that so we're talking about a major inconvenience here, but it's just... It's just part of life that other people make self-choices. They choose to put self first. But you see, if you read this passage and read what God does and read what, how Paul handles it, read what happens when they land on Melita and all that kind of stuff, you know what you find? You find that the Apostle Paul stayed in touch with God. Remember I was talking about at the beginning, I said, you know, People say, well, God is behind all this or God is before all this. But I know this, that God is by whatever he's doing. And look at verse 23. For there stood by me this night, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Paul kept his relationship right with God and others. Uh, he didn't gloat immediately. He did point out later that they could, should have listened to him. But people, people, and you, you and I, our temptation is, I told you so, I told you so, if you'd listen to me, blah, blah, it was too late for anybody to do anything about it. And so Paul ends up in the storm and he ends up shipwrecked because of the self of others, the selfishness of others. How do you react when other people are selfish? How do you let it affect your meditation on God and your treatment of others? Are you one of those people who you tend to respond to, react to, and then live by however you're being treated? Or do you let God use you as a source of grace and stability and love towards others. Now, we know that all things work together for good. Would you mark it to them that love God? 
I don't believe that a person, if they're not living a life where they're loving God, that they can claim this verse. Because he's saying, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are called according to his purpose. Do you love him? Well, maybe what you want to do is put some little indicator somewhere in your heart, your mind, even write them down and say, okay, if I love God as Joseph, how will I deal with the sins of others? If I love God as Job, how would I deal with that satanic spirit when God wants to show himself unto others? If I love God, how will I deal with these storms that are the result of the self and selfishness of others? You see, that's where the power of God is released in our life, where it can reside in our very spirit 24-7. <clears throat> you say, well, aren't you ever tempted to, you know, get the hair up on the back of your neck? Yeah, but I don't believe, I don't believe that you are your old nature if you're a born-again Christian. I do not believe that. I don't believe it has more power than your new nature in the Holy Spirit. I just don't believe it. You say, what well, do you believe? You live a sinless life. I know this. I know this. My new nature doesn't sin. So it doesn't mean that I can do whatever I want and there's no sin attributed. It means that my new nature wants to do the right thing. And that's who we are. And we could list all the verses. We've kind of almost out of time here. We've got a couple minutes left. But the, the thing of it is, is that's who we are. So it's not a matter, do you think you ever have to say, Lord, I'm sorry I thought this, Lord, put this under the blood. But it should be less and less. I'm like the old timers said, we don't believe in sinless perfection, but we do believe in sin less. If you're still struggling with the same thing you were five years ago, something's wrong. I didn't say if you still have a temptation to attitude or temper or uh, impatience, whatever. But that temptation, oh, just boom, boom, boom. Why? Because we're supposed to be walking in the Spirit. And the longer we do, the stronger it ought to be. And the less and less. See, if you're not careful, you're giving all the glory to the old nature. You're giving all the glory to the fact that because it's not eradicated and absent, that it is stronger than the new nature. But that's not how God intended. And we know that all things work together for good to them love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Joseph kept his heart right towards God and others, and others, through the sins of others. Job kept his heart right towards God and others, even though there was a satanic spirit at work. Satan himself, and in the hearts and minds, for a little while of his wife, for example, and his friends, and Paul stayed right with God and others, even though those storms were brought on by the self, the self-life, the selfishness of others. What is the point that I would like to make? We can be victorious, friend. We can live, Romans eight twenty eight while it's happening, while he's working all things together for good, we can live it. And really, we're, we're not giving the opportunity to the Lord to work it unless we do as Joseph and of Job and of Paul and many other characters in our Bible. These are just a couple of them. Father, we pray you take this thought and use it. I know it's super simple, Lord. I realize that. 
But I know it's a blessing to me to know that when these Bible characters experienced these things and they came into their life, that they were able to be used by you to demonstrate a great promise, Romans 8.28. And actually, Romans 8.28, Father, uh, it bears witness to the whole rest of the Bible. May it be so in our life, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.